Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome back. 365 Sports and Sikkim365, Sam Bradshaw joins us now. Sam, in a week... How can you change or fix this offensive system? Because, honestly, they don't really know what they do well. Yeah. um, Fixing anything in a week is going to be very, very difficult. I mean, bye weeks give you more opportunity to self-scout and to work on your skills and to potentially try some new things schematically. But it's not the same as having a spring to do install. It's not the same as being able to do an overhaul like that that would allow you to really dramatically change what you do. So to a certain extent, you're going to have to stick with some of what you've been trained to do. Obviously they're not executing it to the level that they'd like, you know, there's nothing reliably and violent about their branded reliable, violent offense RVO that's been going on this year. Um, Since Blake shapen has been back, they've done a better job of moving between the twenties only to just collapse inside the red zone. So in terms of trying to fix the offense, I think you have to look at three areas and understand that there's going to be a limited amount that you can really do just within two weeks. But I think I think there's three things you can really focus on. First off, tendency. There's Based off how quickly Tech was able to really, really punish them schematically, those safety blitzes were never really effectively countered. And some of the other tactics that Tech brought out, you got to think that whether it's Joey being on staff prior or whether it's somebody getting a hint on your signals or whether it's something along the lines of you're just that obvious in terms of what you're doing on film with certain tells, you have to self-scout. You have to break tendency. If, if you're going to stick with any of your existing plays, which even a change in philosophy in terms of what you're calling would likely do, you've got to make sure that you're breaking tendency and you're not predictable because if they're able to predict you, they're able to beat you, even if you have an advantage over them. And so far, this team hasn't proven that it necessarily has that advantage, which underscores the importance here. Secondly, um, you need to make sure that you got the right guys in, in on the offensive line. You know, um, game one, Alvin Nebesale was on the bench, and he may be your best tackle. You know, that one was wrong. Are there any other Alvin Abeseles on the uh, offensive line that aren't playing right now? Guys that might not have it week the first week they're in there, but 
with a, with a few game reps might actually be better than the guy that they might replace. You have to look up and down your roster and see, do we, should we give some of these other guys a shot? And then after all that, you're also looking from the scheme standpoint of, all right, what can our guys execute? Will we be better off with two tight ends in the game? Will we be better with four wide receivers? We base out of wide zone running and a couple pin and pull schemes based off of that. But do we need to focus on potentially some other run schemes that are in our arsenal? And have and do we have enough of a practice rep base for those guys to execute it at a high level? Because you've got to find something that works. And while they've moved it better within the 20s, that red zone has been awful. So I think that red zone offense needs to get a lot of extra work and possibly mix in some things like a wildcat package or something where you can get some of your multiple talented running backs or receivers on the field. You know, they've, they've tried to do some different things with guys moving positions. You saw them use Jordan neighbors at running back and use him out of the backfield in a bit of an interesting way. I think they're definitely going to try a few different things, but it's really got to, you got to make sure you're not predictable. You got to make sure you got the right guys. And then from there, your adjustments can, have a better chance of success. How hard is it to just change your scheme in the season though? I mean, like that's, they've been running the wide zone for a few years now. They ran it through the spring. They ran it through fall practice. They run it through these games and they just not working at all. Like it's not even working a little bit. It's not working at all. Right. I mean, the only game where you've really seen the wide zone work effectively because of the wide zone and not because of doing quarterback runs against Utah is the UCF game. And even then it was the last three quarters of the UCF game and UCF is not exactly the best run defense you're going to face this year. You know, it's overwhelmingly difficult to change your scheme midstream because guys need reps. Guys need to be able to talk to each other, have a feel for like, if you're doing a zone block, you need to know how long you're going to stay on that, defensive tackle or defensive end before you peel up to a linebacker and just having a feel for the many different things that change split second by split second during a play. And while they can definitely do some things, are they going to be able to get proficient enough at it to compete at a high level? Now I do think changing tactics would give them a little bit of a benefit just from the unpredictability aspect of it. You know, there's only so many tendencies people can pull out from like the five times you've run power since Jeff Grimes has been here. Um, you know, there's only so much that they can peel off of that, which gives you a little bit of an element of surprise if you're able to diversify it enough. But it's definitely a tall order. And whether it's personnel or tendency or really leaning on other parts of the playbook that they haven't or changing formation, they got to do something. Sam, given how their scheme coming into the season was simply based on this reliable, violent offense and everything predicated with that and the stable of running backs, have you been surprised how they have essentially neglected to use Richard Reese on a game-to-game basis? I'm not terribly surprised given how the line has played. Now, if, if you had last year's offensive line and you had at least a bare minimum proficiency in keeping on your blocks and giving the running backs chances, I would be very surprised at this level of usage. But anytime a team is struggling to block them up front, it's not surprising to me that they're not running the ball with any particular player as, as often as they otherwise would. 
because if you don't trust your guys up front to block, you're really going to have to lean on the other part of your offense. I, it, obviously, Shapin's not at the level of the name I'm about to mention, and the line I'm about to mention was better than this one, but it reminds me a little bit of those Colt McCoy years at Texas where the, the last two, where the offensive line really wasn't all that good in run blocking. But the fact that you had a guy that could run it a little bit at quarterback but was really, really proficient in the passing game, giving them some favorable looks, was able to carry the offense a little bit further than it otherwise would go. And you saw that offense really kind of peter out when they lost him in 2010. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of that where the line's just not there. So to a certain extent, what this offense is getting, it's really having to lean on Chapin for Baylor right now. And they're moving it all right between the 20s in some of these games. It's just they're not able to cash in for points. So what's the value of a 50, 60, 70-yard drive? You're only getting three. Or if you miss a field goal or if you fail on fourth down, you've got to be able to turn that into points. And that's the biggest disconnect here. If they can fix the red zone area, it, it won't look good. It won't be the offense they've had the last couple of years, but it would be better than they're getting now. Sam, you wrote um, about uh, the experience that this team has. Some of they've gotten the transfer portal, some of their guys. How much experience do they really – is that something they can lean on, or is that something now that doesn't matter and they're six games in uh, and have to scrap? Well, in that article, I was really highlighting that there's a lot of experience that went out the door in the offseason. You had five starting offensive linemen gone, plus Mose Jeffrey, who is a backup guard who had starting experience for you. He's gone. And you brought in the Barrington brothers on the offensive line. So really, apart from the Barrington, it's really Baylor relying on the guys that they've recruited out of high school. So it makes you wonder if you knew this roster pretty well four steps taken over the last few years to build up that gap, to build got to build in enough talent base for this offense to thrive once those names were gone. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you lost your top three nose tackles. And you brought in a good JUCO transfer and Darrell Boykins who's been hurt all year. But there's no reason the team two years removed from a top five finish in year four of the coaching staff with pretty much systematic continuity, even if you have a new D.C. this year, the system's still pretty the same, should be having to start a 270-pound converted D-end and a guy who was 270 pounds for Oregon converted D-end last year as your top two nose tackles for the first couple games this year. You know, it, it really speaks to a lack of roster management. You know, why were only, why were so few options taken in the portal that could really have shored up some weaknesses? Nobody's expecting to bring in Superman at every position, but much like those old Bill Snyder teams at Kansas State in the 2010, you don't necessarily have to have world beaters everywhere, but having above average everywhere really takes a lot of weaknesses off the board for the opponent to attack. Yeah, Sam, I, I think that um... – that they're kind of feeling the wrath of not getting in the portal and getting some veterans after the after the Sugar Bowl right now. I think that's right. part and, of the problem. And not like and not saying that everybody's going to be a star, but they bet on some younger players when they could have had some veterans that now not even veterans then they could have been redshirt freshmen a year ago. But 
Now they're redshirt sophomores or redshirt juniors, and they're veterans in your program that are, like you said, above average, solid guys. Right. And, you know, after the Barrington brothers and Gavin Byers coming into the year, the offensive line had barely any experience. Now, some of those guys could potentially step up and be really solid players for you eventually. But that is a very, very difficult proposition for me to understand why you only took two guys when presumably there's somebody at the FCS level that's got a lot of experience who may not be an NFL guy, but would certainly be an upgrade over what you have now. That if you're telling me that somebody in that position that decided to transfer to New Mexico State or Utah State or something like that, you telling me they wouldn't have jumped at a Baylor offer? I have a hard time buying that. You know, um, I think it, I think there's a lot of reason to be frustrated with the state of the roster because Matt Rule's final recruiting class when he was negotiating with the NFL, uh, that definitely left some holes. But you've had four years to fix them and a transfer portal and a very notable program that the year before you arrived and in your second year either made or went to the Big 12 title game and went to the Sugar Bowl in both of those years to help you recruit. There's no reason to have this many gaps if you've played your roster cards right. That's an ender right there, Sam. I like that. That's powerful. That is – listen, every week you give me great stuff. That might be your single best nugget so far. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.